Women Taking the Lead, Episode 64. Part of what I teach also in the feng shui is not just to rely upon the external environment you live in, but also to rely upon the internal architecture of your mind. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to get the solutions to your top five leadership challenges. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Kathy Hargaden. Kathy is an internationally acclaimed expert in the ancient art of feng shui. She has over 20 years experience consulting and teaching and has worked with over a thousand clients around the globe. Kathy's work has helped clients increase revenue, reduce stress, resolve conflicts, Build Health, and more. She is the host of the Feng Shui Mastery Show podcast. Kathy, that's only a little intro for everyone, so tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Thanks, Jodie, for having me. Um, well, I come from Liverpool in the UK, which is famous for many different things. I'm sure your audience may be aware, <laughs> being football and also music. And um, I do come from a little street in the inner city. I went to school there. And in relation to feng shui, uh, I was very aware of what was around me, primarily because I, well, I wrote some poems about it, but I also was aware that that it was was not um, particularly beautiful in terms of there was very little nature. And it was very concrete and very um, kind of a bit kind of worn down, really, the kind of environment. But you don't always label it as that as a child. It's only in retrospect that you realize. And there were some dilapidated houses nearby. I used to play in them. They were called prefabricated houses. I understand well before my time they were built during the war because of shortage of housing and Um, And I also because they were just temporary. And so I used to play in them and they were dilapidated. And I used to think, who used to live here? And why didn't they arrange the decor like this? And there's a funny feeling here. I can get a sense of who was here before. So that was the small beginnings of of a topic that's captivated my, my life, really. Um, for a long, long time and taking me to many different places. Wow. And from then to what you're doing now, right? There's You've come a long way. So I definitely want you to fill in some gaps for us because you've had success in your life. You've definitely um, gained some confidence over the years. You've now got your own podcast. So you have no problem speaking up, getting the word out there and being in front of people, being seen. But take us back to a time when you were playing small. And you may not have been aware of it at the time. It may have only been in retrospect that you realized that you're undervaluing yourself. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Well, I would love to. And in my expression now is a a very clear message for especially all the inner city kids right across the world. And that is that often our environments are dictating to us without us knowing that 
we must stay small, that we have very little worth and very little value. And I don't know always the reason why we have acquired that feeling or that image of ourselves. But one little um, example for me was I was an entrepreneur by the age of eight. I lived near football grounds where in England we used to look after the fans' cars. It was like a way of saying, well, look, we'll look after your car. And then when you come back from your match, you'll give us some money for looking after your car. It was it was like a procedure, a ritual. And I remember the very first car I waited, they came back. Those men got in the car and just drove off. They didn't look at me. I just stood there like a little flower. I was only eight. And I remember feeling very upset. And part of it was because I didn't take three steps forward and say, I'm here, I looked after your car, and now you owe me money for looking after your car. And it was a big, big lesson, and it was all about you know, not feeling value of myself to go forward from that age. And I have to say that running parallel along this lack of confidence and, and poor self-worth in many ways was this courageous spirit of, of just plundering forward with all kinds of developments and, 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 and just going out there and doing it. So you can imagine the next time I went to mind somebody's car, I, I became a connoisseur at it. Um, I became excellent to the point when the, the, it was usually men who were the fans came and parked their car in my street. They used to, all the children used to go up and say, can I mind your car, please, sir? And they go, they point their finger at me and they say, no. This, this young lady here, she's going to be minding our car. And then I started to acquire a skill in saying to the men, oh, can you look after, can you make sure you put your valuables off the chair, sir, because we don't want anyone being tempted. And they loved technique. So the communication skills began at a very early age. And then um, at the age of 13, I started to develop a, a business um, to do with selling fancy goods and jewellery. And the jewellery came from all over the world. And I used to have to go to the wholesalers in Manchester, which is a bigger city nearby. And the reason why I'm telling you the story is that this journey took me to other parts of the country. It made me wonder about where these necklaces were all coming from. They were coming from India, Thailand, Hong Kong. And even at that stage, around being 14, trying to pass the wholesalers and go directly to the producers. Um, so it also made me aware of where the market store was, where we were selling our jewellery, how location dictated the quality of our customers as well as the intake of our amount of money. So... From a very early age, I began to realize how location was very important. And that's a part, a big part of feng shui. And from then, uh, I travel, I've traveled all over the world in many different capacities. I've worked in India. I won a research award in Canada. I studied in Santa Barbara, California. I was involved in radio in Nicaragua. And I saw all these different environments and realized that people's mindsets are often connected to the structure and the geometrical shape in which the environment allows them to exist. So I think a lot of inner city kids, they have a geometric pattern presented to them where there is only limitation there. 
Uh, if you go to other areas where perhaps in more the suburbs or where there's more um, environments where people are talking about, you know, financial instruments, <laughs> then there's a different kind of climate altogether. So, um, envir- and then, you know, as I said, I've, I've spent a lot of time in most of the major cities in, in, in India. And you can see how the definition of health in terms of nature, when nature's around people, it brings out a different um, sense of, of peace and balance. Whereas if you're around concrete and stuck in a box, of which most people in inner cities now increasingly are, then there is a, a defining time when people feel restricted, suppressed, and oppressed. So part of what I teach also in the feng shui is not just to rely upon the external environment you live in, but also to rely upon the internal architecture of your mind. Because, okay, what does the, what does the city kid who's listening to this, what do they do if they're living in a, in a, in a confined area? Go inside and change the architecture internally. So I have a double way of teaching feng shui. I get people to focus on the inner, change, change the furniture on the inside, as well as change the furniture on the external side. Wow, Kathy, there was a lot you said that definitely resonated with me growing up as a shy child and then, you know, changing in my high school career, um, how I showed up and spoke up for myself. It took me a lot longer than you to finally... <laughs> To finally say to myself, I'm not going to be overlooked again. Um, But having grown up, um, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. um, And kind of to give you that picture, it's a city in Massachusetts and it's an old mill town. And I remember hearing from different people at different points in my life that Worcester is the armpit of Massachusetts, right? It was not a pretty town. They've done a lot to revamp it, revitalize it and bring it back now. But when I was growing up, that was not the reputation it had. And I remember at one point mentally separating myself from being someone who grew up in Worcester, deciding that that wasn't going to be what defined me. Mm. And that made a huge difference in my life. So that that is, although I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a neighborhood where I was just surrounded by concrete. Yes, the roads were paved and there were sidewalks, but there were, there were trees and, and stuff like that. But it was just, but still it was the reputation. And you didn't have to travel far from my neighborhood to be exactly what you were describing, where it was tall building, brick buildings, concrete everywhere. Not, you know, mm. if you could find, if you you could find a tree, you know, you were lucky, Mm. but it was, but I definitely um, can relate to that where you have to, if that's the type of environment you're growing up in, you do have to mentally create an inner world in you in which you would attach your identity and define yourself by. And now I live in Maine and I'm completely surrounded by nature, right? So my outer landscape now reflects more the inner landscape, although I do still love going back to Worcester. It's where my roots are. I'm very proud of it. But, you know, I I do love being around and being in nature as well. So everything, everything you were describing there completely made sense to me. And Kathy, if you don't mind, if now you could share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call 
Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Well, I don't think there's any one particular moment. I'm still having moments, quite frankly. But, um, you know, uh, at the age of 25, I was meant to go and had a job in Japan. And I cancelled it because I discovered that I'd had a paediatric condition which had gone unnoticed. And it was to do with the hip. Anyway, the reality was that they were going to mend it. And this meant I would have to be in hospital. So it was to do with walking. So I found myself in a hospital for two months. And I would actually <laughs> suggest anybody taking some time out of their life to be still. Try, try doing it for five days. Just try sitting in one place <laughs> for five days. Most people could never do it. And it's often trauma that forces change upon people. And this was not so much traumatizing. It was like... It was an exp a challenge to the fact that I was going nowhere. I was in traction. And it's then that it made me realize. And this is where this, this, this was the beginning of my feng shui journey, actually. Because I started reading about Zen and all the different poetry and, and um, ideas and the Tao and the philosophy of the Chinese Confucius and, and the I Ching, the Book of Change. But it was my surroundings that I realized that people were supposed to be healing in this hospital. And yet the surroundings gave nothing that indicated any kind of health or healing. There was low morale amongst the staff. And at the same time, it wasn't all bad. It was one of the most engaging times of my life because it made me realize that being still, I could see things much more clearly. I was a lot more grateful for seeing the sun come up in the morning and see it go down in the evening. Um, well, that was unusual anyway for London. But nevertheless, it was the whole cycle of the day and all the activity that goes on in a human being's day. And when you're an observer of this and a witness, you start to realize that there are other things at play, often the invisible things that people can't see, which are actually affecting and influencing people's mindsets. So often the subtle, Im the subtle images of the pictures on the wall, there's also an aspect, it's not to do with feng shui, but I would always use it before I use feng shui, and that is space clearing. So some nurses and doctors before now have always commented on that there are certain parts of a ward that, are, that tend to lose people faster than other parts. But it's all about the atmosphere of a place and how does a place make you feel a certain way and what is it that's in there that makes you feel like that. So you know yourself if you've gone into a property and you think, no way, this doesn't feel right. But what is it that's creating that feeling? So I became more... Like, I think you have to have some degree of stillness to be able to pick up on this. And that also it was the first beginning journey of, a, of like a spiritual inquiry as well, because I didn't know if I was going to walk again. And so you're, you're more of an observer of even all the visitors that you have coming in and coming out and how people, you know, lay them, you know, bury themselves down with all kinds of problems. But for me at the time, they were not problems because they were alive. These people were alive. 
and they had two legs and two arms and they were <laughs> there was no problem <laughs> so it, it, it that was a big big insight for me um that how being in a place supposedly for healing wasn't a place for healing and also just the aspect of time so that's why feng shui has served a lot of my inquiries because it goes beyond just furniture moving it deals with color it deals with aroma and geometrical shapes it deals with the the higher esoteric images of of feng shui in terms of the ancient book of change which is telling us that everything is changing all the time from morning to night there's no one moment that is duplicated and we ourselves are changing all the time and so it's about not just being in the right place but being in the right place at the right time so there's an astrological aspect at the whole of feng shui as well so when you bring the place and the timing together you realize that it's all a symmetry it's a synchronization of how the world is is manifesting and what appears to be a very load of random events, if you take 10 steps back in your life, and in order to do that, you have to sit and meditate, you take 10 steps back, you see that everything has been a pattern. And that's why I also talk about always cleanse the spaces that you go into or you live or live in, because when you, if you don't, what you're doing is you're going into a space and you're living out unconsciously the patterns of, of other people. Wow. Okay, Kathy, there is a lot there, but just for the sake of time, <laughs> I, I, I just want to sum up. I, I completely agree that um, one, that isn't it interesting that oftentimes it's in our moments of stillness, right? When we have to stop and take a look and pay attention to what's going on around us, we tend to have these wake up calls. And that's exactly what happened to you. And that when you started paying attention to even the very subtle things that make up one's environment, you started seeing the impact that it was having on people. And I admire how much research you've done on this topic. Um, And I'm definitely going to give people the links and access to your podcast, because I know there's a wealth of information that people can get on feng shui um, and what it can do to to radically change their life. But I'm going to pivot a little bit and I'm going to ask because my philosophy is we all we the world needs people who lead differently, right? We all bring something different to the table. So we don't have to necessarily model ourselves after the leaders we know, we can bring something new and our own element to leadership. And so, Kathy, how would you describe your leadership style? Well, I am also an occupational therapist. And I would say that I come from the perspective of holistic. So just to focus on one aspect of one's life, you know, we're now living in a global world. So the whole concept of individual countries, yes, we have our nationalities and cultures, but it's like the person, we are all part of the whole, holism. So this is the other aspect of feng shui is that it has five elements Um, earth, water, wind, fire, and wood, metal. And 
my my leadership style is to do with have having an inclusive and a global and a five elemental balanced approach not only to life but also to how I teach and so in those five elements you are addressing in the way you deliver yourself or communicate you are addressing spiritual the you're addressing the practical aspects the emotional the mental the creative and I think I've said the emotional as well. Um, so that all mirrors the five, what the five elements represents. So my leadership focus really is to deal with life on all those different um, elements, but to also transcend them as well. We spoke about identity at the beginning, but also we are over and above as, as, as human beings. We are something other than what we think we are. And, you know, I mean, this is kind of maybe, no, it's not going off feng shui, but it's actually, it's all part of it. It, 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 it enables me to teach people about internal feng shui, which is, yes, you've got things on the outside, but what about, what about what's going on in the inside? Not on a psychotherapeutic basis, but just to get people to relate to themselves mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And so that, that's my, my leadership style really is to, is to incorporate people and go exactly where they are in themselves. And, and there's never been an occasion when I spoke about, when I've spoken about the five elements that people don't get it because it's an international language. It's people get it. When I, when you say to people, you know, be ground yourself down to earth, when you say passionate and dynamic, the fire. When you talk about metal, metal is like the mind because it cuts, cuts, cuts. Then that's the mind, cutting ideas, cutting into fragmenting everything. The wood is like a tree. We are all trying to be adaptable, but at times we find ourselves very rigid. And finally, the water element, we are all dealing with different kinds of emotions on all different levels, very deep emotions, very superficial emotions. And that incorporates the five elements in feng shui. So for me, that's that that um, addresses my approach to how I deal with things and how I teach feng shui. But I also realize that you could have political feng shui, economic feng shui. If we're looking at the flow of qi, which is within all of our bodies, we this is what keeps us alive. Then if we were to look at the, the flow of money internationally or the flow of political ideas internationally, then, you know, we can go on to bigger and bigger global um, perspectives. But um, at the moment, I'm just trying to give value to people who, whereby they can help themselves. It's all about self. Leadership is, for me, is about self-empowerment. Awesome. And Kathy, briefly, what is one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Um, I'm excited about creating a video for my space clearing procedures and in adjunct to that I'm going to be offering um, feng shui kits for people because people listen to the teachings and then they go where can I get all these things and there's no one place um, that people often find themselves having to go to many different places to get the different apparatus so I've created a, a, well, a few kits 
And that's what I'm going to be doing next is putting that out there for people to access and get started on their own space clearing. You don't need me to come and do it. You can go and do it yourself with a bit of instruction and a bit of understanding of what it is you're doing. And this is the first port of call, uh, besides clearing your clutter, of course, that people can get started on their feng shui journey right away. All right. And Kathy, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice that helps to make you a better leader? Um, communication. The nature of the communication. And how did, what helps you to be a better communicator? Um, I think to be, to be honest with yourself and I think often that can only come from being still sometimes because we, our minds are like junk, junk attics. So sometimes you don't really know what we're thinking because there's so much inside. So I think taking some time out and then just stopping and connecting with yourself. So the communication, when you've got some degree of integrity and trust and commitment to what you are delivering to people, um, then I think that is picked up by people, not just by the content of what you're saying or how you're saying it, but once again, that comes with an energy from within, which is communicated outside. And people instantly pick up on that. And that's what gives it its integrity. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Um, well, out of the lots and lots of books I have read, um, I would have to come back to this guy in the States called Harvecker. I like this guy. This guy is so down to earth. There is no bull in him, what he says. And he talks to people, irregardless of who they are, where they come from. I think he's just dealing with minds. And I think that this guy can show you some insights into letting down the blockages and the barriers within all of us and allowing them to let go and Bring out the real leader in yourself. So Harvecker, um, The Millionaire Mind, is a great place to start. Yes, that's what I thought you were referring to, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. I love it. All right, and share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Oh, um, well, I've just come up, this is, okay. <laughs> I've got this written down. Um and I think this can sum up life. But before I say it, I want to actually say that I was a total failure at, at, at school when it came to maths. But I know the difference between profit and loss. <laughs> um, and this quote goes like this. A mathematical journey with a geometrical intrigue. I'll say it again. A mathematical journey with geometrical intrigue. And I would say that that would sum up possibly our lives, our journeys in life, because our, the mathematical journey is we, we, we live our lives in numbers and there are repeat patterns 
throughout. And until we decide or want to or wake up to those patterns that are not so good for us and change them, they keep on being patterns. And there are great patterns in there as well, don't get me wrong. But remember that, you know, what keeps us going as human beings is that there is something geometrical. I want to say geometrical, I'm talking about the colors that are going on outside of us. There is a geometrical mystery in our creation. There is a geometrical secret all around us. If you look at nature and the multiplication of numbers involved in the creativity of the branches and the leaves, the shells on the beach, everything in nature has a a Fibonacci series, a, a mathematical connotation. And we also have that mathematical connotation as well. Then our lives are a mystery and our journey is all about discovering that mystery and weaving our way in and around and creating our own geometrical pattern for ourselves and for other people. And Kathy, in one sentence, what advice would you give your younger self? Well, I've just walked around a lake before I did this interview and I was thinking exactly that question. And I would say that even if you think, even if you think that you can't achieve anything or that you haven't got much to aim for or you can't do something or you're fearful of doing something, I would say, think of a picture where you feel great, multiply it by 500, making it bigger and bigger. And even if you feel the way you do feel, maybe lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem, etc., still go and do and still take those steps towards that vision. Still go and do it. Even if you feel, no, I can't do that, can't do it, just say, Okay, I can't do that, but guess what? I'm still going to go and do it anyway. Because that. all we're dealing with is the is the conflict of the yin yang of the mind. The mind is like the metal element. It will always torture us <laughs> in one form or another throughout our lives. If you can see it for what it's worth, then transcend it and go and be creative anyway. And Kathy. Lastly, what is the best way for those listening to connect with you? Okay, well, I have um, a blog site with some interviews on and podcasts, and that is www.fengshuimasterishow.com. I have a new website being launched where you can have access to all kinds of different resources and videos and contact me if you're interested in knowing more. And that's going to be www.wealthyspaces.com. And I also have a YouTube channel called What is Feng Shui? And for those people who just have so many burning questions, then they can contact me on wealthyspaces at gmail.com. And you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Well, thank you very much, Jodie, for bringing that out in me. 
Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. So here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.